Good evening. I'm Rick Cottom. Welcome to Your Maryland. In 1920, the premier Olympic sport was not swimming or track and field, but crew. Eight men driving a slender shell down a river course of 2,000 meters at a speed of 18 knots. And nobody owned rowing like Great Britain. English teams had not lost a single boat race they'd entered since the Olympics began again in 1892. As the world's athletes convened in Antwerp to meet for the first time since the Great War, England called upon its Leander Boat Club, whose emblem, a pink hippopotamus, indicated that they were indeed kings of the river. The pink stood for their original colors of red and white, run together some time in the century since their founding. With Leander going, English rowing families expected a short, one-word cablegram from Belgium, gold. But on the Chesapeake, there were those with other ideas. A few years earlier, a crusty Cape Cotter had come to Annapolis to coach the Navy crews. Richard Glendon would not have the flower of English manhood to work with, but farm boys and grocer's sons from all across the United States. Glendon noticed immediately that his men were bigger and stronger than the average oarsman and required a different kind of boat than the slender shells used in England and imported to American rowing clubs. So Glendon designed one that was broader and heavier. To take advantage of their strength, he widened the oars blade, shortened the stroke, and called the whole thing his American system. During the winter, his middies trained inside. In the frigid winds of March, they moved outdoors to begin their grueling training on the Severn. They looked nothing like the English, who pulled together in a symphony of long, graceful strokes. The press described Glendon's crew as motley, homely, and awkward. But after a narrow loss to mighty Syracuse, the Navy crew outrode Penn, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, and the Union Boat Club, then went on to win the American Henley Regatta in Philadelphia. So great was national delight in their progress that they were given permission to compete in the Olympic trials in July. Under a bright New England sun in Worcester, Massachusetts, Navy set a course record, avenged the earlier loss to Syracuse, and set their sights on Belgium. Across the Atlantic, the best of the great rowing families from Oxford and Cambridge awaited them with the confidence of proven champions. While the Americans worked out the kinks after several weeks at sea, Leander trained at home and gave themselves a formal send-off dinner in their clubhouse at Henley-on-the-Thames. They arrived in Antwerp, only to find poor accommodations and worse, that the race had been moved to Vilverde, eight miles away. Still, while the runners and swimmers competed, Leander went about their preparations unfazed, and when the rowing finally began, they swept easily through their bracket. So did Navy. The two teams met on the last day of the Games before the largest crowd yet to see an Olympic event. Sig Swan, one of the greatest rowers ever to come out of Cambridge, warned his mates not to take the Americans lightly, but they assured themselves that they would beat these big, awkward men with style, strength, and superior oarsmanship. At 5 p.m. on Sunday, August 29th, the shells glided to the starting line. A cannon boomed, the starting flag dropped, and the crowd roared as the boats jumped forward. Leander set a blistering early pace of 41 strokes per minute and at 1,000 meters led by two-thirds of a length. They increased to 42, but to their shock and amazement, Navy didn't fade as expected. The Americans began to close. Oxford, Cambridge, and a century of English tradition dug in for the finish, but at 1,700 meters, Navy had drawn even. With 30 meters to go, the Navy coxswain called for 10 strokes full out. His shell surged forward and sped across the line half a length ahead. That evening, the young English gentlemen visited the American tents to congratulate the victors and talk about the race. There would be no one-word cablegrams, and they would face a critical press at home. But having just smashed the Olympic record by more than seven full seconds, 
they were still the best Britain had ever sent onto the water. Unfortunately, thanks to a determined, unorthodox crew from Annapolis, they were no longer the best in the world. Mm -hmm. 